He's a hypnotist, hypnotist bladies. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is our prologue to episode 28, a non-comics extravaganza wherein Graham McMillan and I talk about They Might Be Giants, Randy Newman, and the British TV comedy triumvirate of the IT crowd, Father Ted, and Brass Eye. It's all the comics-free content you would want from a comics podcast, and then some. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. I did so. I'm uh, I'm quite good, I, although I really am. I knew you'd have an opening lined up for me. I had no idea what to expect. What the hell is that? Is that? It sounds like Tom Jones. Uh, it's it's a weird like Tom Jones version of a Hypnosis of Ladies by the Mega Giants, which for some reason has been in my head all day. Hmm. You know, I from have... the underrated album Apollo 18. Oh. You know, that's kind of funny. I, I, as we had talked about uh, They Might Be Giants a, a couple of weeks ago, I have to say, I do not remember Hypnotist of Ladies off Apollo 18. Really? I should uh, I should duck back. Isn't isn't Meet James Ensor on that album? No, that's um, the one after that, uh, John Henry. Is it really? Yes. Oh, my God. Hmm. Belgian's wow. favorite painter. <laughs> See, now that, that is an opener, sir. Uh, yes, Hypnotist of Ladies by Tom if, Jones if is a closer. Do, if we could do, um, like, if one of us could play guitar, because the Meet James Ensor star truly really played the guitar. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it's if, just if only one of us look. could play a musical instrument. But, but no, unless can you? I, I've, I've never thought to ask. Can you play? <laughs> no, uh, I, I took a piano for one semester in college, and I think if I kept uh, up with it, I probably could have like learn to play like I was I was doing pretty well for a first uh, semester student I mean not musical prodigy or something like that but I was really happy to like practice for like an hour a day or something like that and uh, then I ended up in a place without a piano so it it uh, it didn't work out we actually failed love affair we actually bought a piano last year um, with the express purpose of learning to play the piano Really? Uh, yeah, and and I just haven't. And I always like I see it all the time, and I'm like, I should just get on that. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I don't entirely fail to. But um, yeah, I, I, that's definitely on my point of things to do. You know, uh, I think you would enjoy it. I I would see where it would be a very good match for you. Because the really the great thing I think about the piano is, um, although you end up quickly, you know, you're your dexterity is your upper limit, which is why you keep sort of practicing and practicing. But like once you learn sort of the basic um, uh, chord structures and the way things are set up on the piano, it's, it's kind of like noodling around on the piano is a satisfying way of feeling like you're making music when you're not really making music. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I think just because you have such a wide access to, to the scales, like when you hear somebody like, noodle around on a guitar like for me it instantly becomes a hundred percent more exasperating really quickly so um because you've you're just sort of i think it's harder to find things structurally um but with piano one of the things you learn really quickly it's like oh yeah okay so i can actually like totally come up with a, a cheap 
Philip Glassian ripoff in like no time at all. I, I actually I, I did some like piano. I got like a teachers have piano book. Mm-hmm. Um, and really early on in teachers have piano book, you play. God, I can't remember what it is. It's like a well-known song that's incredibly simple. Mm-hmm. It's basically like, you know, try this hand, try this hand, try this hand, and now do this. And I remember, like, playing the tune and recognizing the tune and honestly having a moment of, oh, my God, I'm playing the piano. I'm playing a song. This is like magic. <laughs> I, I really was. I was like, this, this is just amazing. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I think that's that's part of the reason why. Um, that's why you should get right on it, sir. Well, the, uh, the, the reason it originally came up is, um, like, the piano is weirdly the musical instrument of choice of a lot of uh, my favorite artists. Hmm. Uh, like, I really like Randy Newman, for example, and he's all about the piano. I really like Nellan Kai. She's all about the piano. You know, and there was, there was just enough sort of recurring piano that I was like, I think if I was going to learn any musical instrument, especially because I tried to play guitar in high school and was just appalling at it. Um, oh, really? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, really terrible. Um, like, only in high school. It's not like I bought a guitar and then tried to try to home or anything, but, like, in the, the high school classes, it was just not very good. Um but yeah, I, I I was like piano piano case like I you know I learned to play piano when I was a kid. Let's get a piano, and then of course I did nothing. I am uh, I, uh, taking, of course, to take away the absolute wrong message away from this. I didn't realize that you were such a big Randy Newman fan. Like I am we... massive Randy Newman fan. I'm I'm a Randy Newman fan to the extent where. Not only am I completely aware that he has basically written the same song for his entire career, but, uh, <laughs> but like I've, I actually no longer have. I used to have the the thirtieth anniversary of his signing box set that had like the demos for some of the Pixar stuff. Oh my god! And like you know, you, you can hear the difference between like you know Randy Newman performing a Randy Newman song, and, you know Tom Hanks performing a Randy Newman song. Uh, <laughs> no, there's there's some yeah, I really love Randy Newman. That's interesting because I mean I was a huge Randy Newman fan from, gosh I want to say like a, I was still in high school so from like 1983 to 1988 I mean you know it was it was right around the time where um, the Eagles were doing all his backing vocals and everything sounds horrifically 80s when you listen to it. Uh, you, you know, I, I think there was just such a long gap, be- right, because he had Lenny Warunker or whatever, his longtime producer, just kept scaling up his production values, unfortunately. Um, but there was like a huge long gap, uh, be- you know, between albums. Yeah, and yeah. Honestly, I, I don't remember. It's like I bought his I Love L.A. album and the su- his soundtrack to Ragtime, which I listened to a ton. And then after that, I think there was just such a long gap. I, I was going to say, yeah, chances are he didn't release anything of his own for, like, I want to say, like, 10 years at least. Like, at there's least. a really long gap. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the thing he came out with last year was actually really good. Parks and Angels, which were really good. Yeah, I should I should jump on it, because I loved his stuff. Actually, his, uh, his, his Born Again album is one of the, like... I think just one of my favorite albums ever. There's Sail oh, Away yeah, and Born Again. Are Born, awesome. Born Again and um, God, I can, I can only remember the original name of the album. The one that's got Rednecks on it. What's it really called? Uh, Sail Away, right? Isn't that it's it? Sail Away, I can't remember. To the internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sail, I mean, Sail Away is by far, I would have to say, sort of his like 
stone cold classic, you know, like the al- the like if you have to give somebody one album of his, I think that's the one. Is that but the one Bor- Texas Girl at the Funeral of Her Father on it? Yeah, that's yeah, the one. That's yeah, that's just that's an amazing album. That's and and uh, political science and God song. So yes. I mean, like yeah, right like in there, that case, yeah, like, it is. Uh, yeah. Little Criminals, I think, is the album I'm thinking of. Oh, with yeah. short people on it, and uh, um... what is the name of Good Old Boys? Is the album I'm thinking of? Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. Good Old Boys oh. um, debuted, like had a live debut performance mm-hmm. on my birthday, like literally my birthday, October fifth, nineteen seventy four. Uh, ever since that I, I had like this unnatural <laughs> affection for that album uh, wow and it's got that's the one that's got like rednecks on it it's got Birmingham uh, Marie which is great it's on it yeah it's just really good but there's a uh, it got re-released with the original version of the album which has an entirely different name and like all the demos for the original songs oh Jesus uh, this. which is yeah. really 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 good but like, I, I, this is how much of a fan I am. I own Randy Newman's Faust. Wow! Hey, that's <laughs> impressive. Exactly. I'm now looking at his discography. So yeah, '83 and then '88, and then his next real album was '99. So 11 years. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, I just sort of sort of fell off. So. Yeah. But yeah, um, Bad Love's not a great album, but Harps and Angels is really good. Yeah. So so Sail Away has Sail Away. Um, he gives us all his love, political science. Uh, you can leave your hat on in God's song. So, I mean, that's also kind of my favorite. But, like, his piss take on ELO on Born Again from, like, 1979 is kind of brilliant. Have you heard it? It's the one where he, he looks, he he's, the album cover is him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, the, it, uh, the guy had a kiss, but he's got the dollar signs over his eyes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, like, sitting behind a desk working, like, some sort of crazy, like, executive job one assumes or something it's kind of awesome no there's um, a, it's i want to say if the san francisco library has the um the box set which is called guilty mm-hmm. which is from like 97 ish maybe 98 99 something like that um mm-hmm. it's really good because it's four discs and like two discs are just straight best of but then one disc is the best of his musical scores for movies Mm-hmm. And the fourth disc is the best of his demos. Well, see, yeah, I would love to hear some of his demos because I think really he works cool. so well stripped down like that. Oh, yeah, he also did an album called The Random Human Songbook, which is just him stripped down. Like, it's got a lot of the overproduced stuff, which is just him and his piano. Oh, great. I should check that out as well. Wow, it is so weird. Like, just because you had mentioned a couple of, I remember it's one of those things where, like, you'll occasionally throw, you know, as you do, uh, you know, columns you'll have titled after songs or things, or you'll mention them in your blogs. But I didn't realize it's like I knew that you were familiar with Randy Newman. Just oh, I love Randy that Newman. Were... That's that's wow. half the reason I really like Nelly McKay so much, because to me, Nelly McKay is Randy Newman, like, 30 years later. <laughs> oh, the first Nelly McKay album is amazing if you like Randy Newman. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it, and I couldn't get into the oh, second album. Second album was, was a mess. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it was just so terrible. Um, I and mean, then, I can't remember. I think it's the third album. I think, uh, the God, I can't remember the name of it. Something Villagers? Obligatory Villagers? Something like that? Um, <laughs> is, is really, really good again. Oh, really? She loses. She, she basically loses all the, the like middle-of-the-road pop stylings, and it's pretty mm-hmm. much a jazz album. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got obligatory villagers. There you go. I was right. Um, and it's got guest shots from like Bob Doro, who did Schoolhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. It's literally on half of a verse of one song. <laughs> uh, but no, it's great. And she's back to being like sarcastic and funny. Like there's a song called Mother of Pearl, and the first line is feminists don't have a sense of humor. That's great. And then the second line is feminists and vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Blinktree Village was really good after that. Then she did a Doris Day tribute album, which is good if you like Doris Day. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not saying that at all. Like, I really like it. Uh, <laughs> and then the most recent one is All Right. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got some great songs on it, but it's also mm-hmm. got some really not great songs on it. But, like, yeah, the second album is a disaster. Yeah, yeah. It just was such a huge collapse. I was like, oh, I cannot. You know, uh, jumping off. So, but I, I might come back for the third. That's I. I think I should send you some songs. I think I should send you some tracks. Yeah, yeah. I, I would uh, be, be I would because have yeah, Nelly McKay second album terrible, but the rest of it has been really pretty good. Well, that's that's fabulous to know. I will I will keep an eye and ear open for that. Um, yeah, you know, God bless Randy Newman's one of those dudes where I feel like he. It's like I'm really happy for him as a person to have found like his Pixar. niche and his very <laughs> successful niche. Yeah. As yeah. Pixar, like we just saw Toy Story three, uh, uh, the other night, uh, just two nights ago. And, um, I'm always happy for him, but I also have that in that just, I can't listen to it. Like I really do like his, his, you know, Copeland esque, riffs that he uses on his soundtracks work which again incredibly successful but i it, like you said it feels like it's almost like he's writing the same song over and over and over and over again uh and it seems to really work for him successfully but well one, one of the things i really like about hearts of angels is um hearts of angels is when he starts getting like sarcastic and mean again ah see and that's where he is like he really was kind of the master of irony you know for for those you know his mid albums where he was just fearless about sounding like any asshole or willing to make fun of anyone or anything yeah you know I, but i mean i what i really like about his early stuff it's the same thing i really like about Harry nielsen's early stuff which is it's desperately trying to get orchestral arrangements for pop styling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i that like a fascinating space the same reason like i like the divine comedy uh and and acts like that now like, I mm-hmm. really love when bands are like, I'm pretty much trying to write a song like the Beatles and then arrange it, like, with a big band or arrange it with an orchestra. Oh, interesting. That, that almost is, I'm like, yeah, that's what I find fascinating. That is hilarious because I have to say, like, that's one of those um, tropes that makes me just want to, like, slit my own throat. Oh, if it's, if it's done terribly, though, that's the thing. Like, it's got to be it, done well. And so oh, many my God. Terribly. I, and, you know, even... Even like the Beatles did it terribly. I was about to say, yeah. they did it terribly, and Paul McCartney has managed to do it atrociously ever since. Oh my God. Some but but when it's done, done well, I mean, Oof. I don't think the Divine Comedy ever really made it over here, but the Divine mm-hmm. Comedy, uh, you've seen Father Ted, right? No, I haven't. What? Jeff, Father Ted is like a comedy that was made for you. Yes. Uh, you know, and in fact, else told you, know, you know what Probably you should do? You, you should get mm-hmm. Backwards. Um, you should watch the Eight Crowd, which is on Netflix streaming, mm-hmm. um, because it's the same writer, mm-hmm. uh, but it's an entirely different setup. It's like an IT department in a company. 
Well, you know, let me tell you this, Graham. I saw one episode of the IT crowd. Uh, it was like a free app um, offered through uh, through iTunes. Uh-huh. And I was incredibly torn because I thought that on the one hand, like just from the sheer formalistic construction of it, it's the episode, I guess you're up on the IT crowd then, yeah. since, if you're recommending it. It's the uh, it's that great episode where um, basically uh, Julie, Judy ends up, like everyone thinks that she's dead. And of course the last night, you know, the, the IT guy, the, not, the, the guy in the office who's gone on the failed date with her starts bragging about how he was like the last man to ever see her alive and they had sex. And she ends up like haunting him, sort of, you know, the whole, it's, it might be called the haunting of <laughs> I really Ted don't something remember or this at all. <laughs> Really? Oh yeah, my God. I don't, like it sounds like one of their bonds. I just don't remember it. it. It's, it's just the thing that I was so impressed with is it's like this amazingly, uh, intricately constructed episode so that the way that they all have it so that everyone the you know she basically says that she doesn't want to be disturbed and she leaves what's his name in charge of telling everyone and he's like i'm not very good at lying and she just tells him just say this say this oh, and yes, it'll be fine yes, yes. and of course he ends up like going outside his comfort zone and just saying well she's dead and everyone believes him and then it all circulates yes, from yes, there yes, so so the construction of it is was kind of like comedically just flawless uh, the conception but the but the execution was so laugh track filled and like so like sitcommy played for cheap easy smarmy laughs i mean maybe it was just the laugh track but i i was really torn because um it's it's funny you'll actually probably have exactly the same thing with father ted then yeah yeah and uh, is it because one of the things I like about both mm-hmm. is that for me it's almost making fun of the cliche as much as the whole thing. But also I love the way it does it. Like my favorite Father Ted joke ever. The Father Ted mm-hmm. setup is there's this like there's Father Ted and he's been banished on islands. He's a, he's a an Irish priest. Right. He's been banished on an island because he embezzled all of the church funds. Mm-hmm. And he's been banished to this island where there's two other priests, one of which is like an old crotchety drunk. And the other one is incredibly stupid. Like, overly comedically stupid. Um, And my favorite Father Ted joke ever is they're all in a caravan and Father Ted is holding up a toy cow to the stupid one. And he goes, Uh this is little. And he points out and he goes, and that is far away. Little, (laughs) far away. And like it's it's like almost offensive, but it's so dumb and just surreal. But it's the greatest joke in the world. <laughs> That's really funny. So who's the who's the person that you're giving props for both for creating both? Graham or, or Linen, maybe. Anyway, right. The reason the whole reason brought up is the theme tune to Father Ted and theme tune to the credit is written by Neil Hannon, who is the leads who's one in the Divine Comedy. Who's I'm sorry, one of the who? songwriter in the Divine Comedy, which is ah. back to like the orchestral pop song, because the Divine Comedy did an album in. This is when I start thinking of yours based upon who I knew and who I was dating at the time. It's got to be '96. Um, you know, the worst part is I have to flip that around. Like the only way I can usually date when something's happening in my life is remembering the pop stuff I was paying attention to. And then I can figure out like what year I was actually dating someone or, or 
something was actually happening. Um, uh-huh. But was, they did this album six called, I think it was got a short album about love, which mm-hmm. is all original songs that they performed live and recorded the album live that way with a big orchestra. And ah. everything is um, arranged to take advantage of the big orchestra. And it's spectacular. <laughs> and it's completely like the pop done with an orchestra entirely right thing. Mm-hmm. In part mm-hmm. because they really use the orchestra. The orchestra is like, you know, here is a band and some strings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a real problem. Yeah, that, that tends to happen a lot. But um, no, I do like it when there's some... I, I did like some of the stuff that like Jens Linkman did, I guess, with the playing with the orchestral stuff. Yeah. Uh, while we're... So, so yeah, I will have to look at, at Father Ted. Have you seen Four Lions by... Uh, no, I, I almost did last week. And um, the, I was going to see my friend Eric, the one who's writing the Warriors comic for Dynamite. Um, oh, yeah. And then on the day... Like, I had such... It wasn't even a bad day. I just felt so incredibly antisocial, I called it off. Mm, mm-hmm. I, I've definitely been there before. Because, uh, honestly, yeah. I would have gone and just been like, fuck you. And also, not enjoyed the film, and I love Chris Morris so much that I don't want to do that. Yeah, see, I'm really fascinated to... Uh, uh, Dave Robson uh, dragged me to Four Lions, I don't know, like a month ago. Like right around at the beginning of the year, I guess. And I, I was, or maybe it was the end of last year, I was really, really impressed with it. And it was Chris Morris, who, whose name had stuck with me from the IT crowd. And uh, I, I was... Um, oh, but you see, Chris Morris, the IT crowd is like the, less, like the least Chris Morrissey thing ever. Chris mm. Morris did um, The Day to Day and On the Hour and Brass Eye before that. And all mm. of those are at Livideo. Mm-hmm. And you have to rent at least Brass Eye because it is... Have you seen like the Onion TV show that's on right now, the the fake news show? The yes. Onion thing? Uh, mm-hmm. So imagine that, but so much sharper and mm-hmm. twenty years ago. Ah. Like he, it, the brass eye was spectacular and fearless and like got brought up in British Parliament uh, because he would, he would routinely embarrass politicians. Oh great! And just show it, like he he. Embarrassed a fake drug for the episode on drugs and got, and got questions about this fake drug brought up in the House of Parliament <laughs> yeah the MPs being like when are we going to stop cake being produced <laughs> so is this actually a bit more Daily Show-ish in that regard it, it's, or... it's like the Daily Show of the Daily Show actually wanted to I didn't care about pissing people off in order to make his point Right. It, I mean I, I can't explain it's one thing that looks very different now because, like, the media landscape has changed in 20 years. But, um, I mean, what, one of the things that Chris Morris is famous for before he did these shows was he had a radio show on Radio One for a while. And he was still a comedian. It wasn't like, you know, he was just being a DJ. But one night he just thought it would be funny to announce on Radio One that the Queen Mother had died. And so he just did. And then you call people up and be like, you know, do you have anything to say about the death of the Queen Mother? And they obviously don't know it's fake because they're getting caught from the BBC. (laughs) So he had all these people paying tribute, something that wasn't true. But he was just putting it out live. And because of that, he was banned from being live on radio in Britain. Wow. Yeah, that, I mean, seriously, I'm like, that. that is something that I would think that you would not be able to get allowed Oh, yeah, yeah, to, you, you to just, joke around with exactly, but he would just do it. 
and and so so brass eyes. So the day today is very onion, like a fake news show. It's actually where Alan Partridge comes from, the Steve Coogan mm-hmm. character. Um, mm-hmm. And then he did Brass Eye, which is like a, the follow-up, which is a current affairs show, and every episode is about an issue. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's drugs, sex. Uh, I can't remember. The, there were six episodes, and then he came back for a, a special on uh, pedophiles. Science, pedophilia. Yeah, the pedophilia yeah. one is spectacular. <laughs> I mean, they're all incredibly funny, incredibly sharp, and in the way the best, uh, best satire is, really uncomfortable at points. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pedophilia one in particular is just brutal. <laughs> well, uh, taking his children, who's been like it's ten o'clock, where your children are, he opens up his filing cabinet, and like a kid comes up, he's like, "My here." <laughs> <laughs> well, you should see Four Lions, damn it! Because I, I that really, I really want to. But like I said last week, I was just honestly, I. And I would have enjoyed it and I would have pissed Eric off and I just would have been like it's one of those things where you're just like I just want to sit down on my own like eat pizza and watch shitty television that's all I want to do right now <laughs> and so I did except I didn't watch shitty television I watched Friday Night Lights but apart from that mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I was about to say that's that's sort of a far cry away from shitty television I fully expected you to to, to this was I, I could I was like oh god here comes the Brad Meltzer's decoded plug <laughs> you know no, no, it's no worries. I, Graham, I don't think that that will change anyone's expectations. Uh, of me or Brad Potter. <laughs> <laughs> or this podcast, because we have done 25 minutes not even talking about comics yet. Not even close. <laughs>